Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Some people were just born to be entrepreneurs. These folks love to build and solve problems, and they're always trying to make a difference. Puyan Salehi is one of these folks. With a background in mechanical engineering, combined with an MBA, Puyan is a four-time founder who knows what it takes to start a business and what not to do, too. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Puyan shares his learnings as a founder, his impressive career journey, and how he has introduced a game-changing solution for a problem that all revenue teams face. So take a listen and learn how to drive better sales efficiencies and productivity, better adoption of systems and processes, and get the right data at the right time. So super excited to be here today with Puyan Salehi, currently the co-founder and CEO of Scratchpad. Puyan has had such an amazing career as a four-time founder, so I am super excited um, to dive in. Uh, For those of you who may not be familiar with Scratchpad, Scratchpad is changing the way revenue teams manage their business. It is the first workspace built for sales with every feature and every interaction designed with the account executive in mind. So no longer are you working in multiple documents, sheets, tasks, and different systems, but we'll learn more from the founder himself. So welcome, Puyan, and thank you for joining me. I'm excited to learn more about your journey. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So you have had just such a long and impressive journey. But before we talk about, you know, what you're working on now, which is super exciting and I am excited to dive into, but I just love to hear your backstory. I mean, you know, can you, can you maybe share a little bit more about your career journey? You know, take us through this path. I mean, you went, you were at, you know, you had Stack Mob, Lyra Labs. I think yeah. we, we first interacted and met at Persist IQ. You know, can you share a little bit more about that? Gosh, I, I wish I could say it was all perfectly planned and designed <laughs> to go this way. And it, uh, it certainly wasn't. Really, I, I just knew that I loved to build. And mm-hmm. I love to solve problems and, and leverage the creative part of my brain and, and work with folks who, who are aligned with that. And that I could just, you know, bounce ideas off of with and we can go solve problems together and build stuff. So that was what really drove me. And I, I guess just for, for quick background, you know, I studied, um, I was really curious about how things worked and that's what led me to study uh, mechanical engineering for undergrad. I'm always really interested in business. I grew up in a 
small family, we ran a small family business. So that part of it intrigued me as well. I later went and got a, went to business school for an MBA. That again was driven by the curiosity of how the business world worked. I felt like I understood it at a micro level of a, at a small business, but how markets worked, how larger businesses worked was, was still a huge question to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never really thought of myself as somebody that would, that would fit at a larger company. But coming out of business school, again, the curiosities really drove me to, to Apple. And mm-hmm. it, at that point, it, it was a very different company than it is now. The iPhone hadn't even launched yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very lucky and fortunate to be a part of that journey. I was there for a few years. And, and after that, I said, you know, I think, it's, I think it's time. And while as much as I loved hardware, the cycle times were much longer than I liked on mm-hmm. iterating. And so... I just became really interested in software applications that impacted how people work. And that's been the journey I've been on since across different companies, lots of products and continuing to do that. That's amazing. I think it's like you, you kind of know you're a builder and you know, you're, you know, a business oriented, you're sort of entrepreneur. And I mean, you've done so much, you know, when I think about you know, all the different companies that you've started, that you've been part of, you know, I'm sure there's tons of lessons learned from mm-hmm. all of those experiences. Are there some things that, you know, maybe that you wouldn't mind sharing that you did learn, maybe things that you felt like, hey, going back, you know, looking back that maybe you did wrong or that you might do differently? Oh, gosh, I think we could talk for hours. I <laughs> <on that. laughs> have a multi, uh, multi-session multi series here on that, but... <laughs> No, yeah, there there is a lot. Everything mm-hmm. from why start a company in the first place to mm-hmm. how to approach an idea and and bring it to life. But let me start with let me start with starting a company in the first place. Okay. You know, I, I I felt like I was I'm generally a very impatient person. I don't know if it's my Persian background or what, but <laughs> I, you know I, I was so just itching to get something started and wanting to just start building that I probably rushed into a couple ideas way too early. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, you know, starting something was so, was just so ingrained in my mind that I felt like I like I have to start a company around it. But after doing that a couple of times and realizing, gosh, it's a lot harder to, it's a lot harder to actually solve, like find a real problem to solve that a company should exist around. You realize mm-hmm. that, not everything needs to be a company, even if there's a problem that exists and there's a product that can address that, that problem. So I think lesson number one was just be patient. Lesson number two is any, you know, there's this, you could actually like chart out the emotional highs and lows you get, you have with an idea where early on you have this idea and you get really excited about it. And then you realize that maybe others have tried it and they, you go through this trough of sorrow where you're like, oh, this was terrible. And then you come back up. And, you know, I think just being even keeled and, trying to get to the root of the problem itself and why it exists. And, you know, it's, and it's actually great when others have tried to solve the problem because there's a lot that you can learn from them. And you can also learn, is this even a problem worth solving? Like mm-hmm. why have certain people not maybe purchased the solution or why have certain solutions not taken off? So I think that's, that's another big lesson we learned. And then the third one is after, <laughs> after having built a lot of stuff that never got traction is to build less. And what I mean by that is, early on, really focus on understanding the problem or the current state of the world as much as possible and try to get signal on why, like what your unique angle is on it. 
And there's so much that you can do now without actually having to build anything. Because building's expensive, is is very expensive. It can take time. It can take a lot of your resources. And it's a natural thing to want to do mm-hmm. is just focus on, well, let me, let me create that first version of the product. And gosh, if we just add this one extra feature, then people are really going to want it. Rarely is that the case. And I think there's a lot that you could learn by trying to sell or go to market very early. Even if you don't have a product, just see, can you gather interest with your messaging and positioning? which a lot of that can then inform what you build in the first place or what your entry point should be. But the concept of build less, especially in the early days, is one that I think my co-founder and I learned over time through making those mistakes. And it's certainly something that we did at Scratchpad that helped us you know, get to product market fit very quickly. And it's something we continue to do today. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's actually really great advice. I didn't think about, you know, it's true people rush to build a product and then try to you know, understand product market fit, but sort of understanding kind of being iterative and building as you go and learning that makes a lot of sense. And I could definitely see that in what you're doing at Scratchpad. So let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. You know, Mm -hmm. so you, you mentioned, you know, obviously founders trying to solve a problem, they start a business, you know, and I think with Scratchpad, I mean, sales productivity and just time wasted on updating all these different systems like Salesforce and all of these different tools. I mean, the tech stack is immense, right? It's just enormous today. There's like a piece of tech for every single part of the funnel and every part of the customer journey. And it's a big problem, right? It's a big problem for salespeople. It's also a big problem for RevOps people like myself. But, you know, maybe let's talk about, you know, how the idea for Scratchpad started, you know, and kind of what was that vision you had when you started this business? I think it's about two years ago now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me... Let me back up a little bit because it was more of a rolling start into it than it was <laughs> yeah. any sort of like flash of brilliance or epiphany that we had. So my co-founder and I started a company called Persist IQ and that was born out of our own problems that we faced when trying to do sales. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us were sales people by background. We, we were just two founders that had built a product and we were trying to get it to market and to sell it. And we realized after having built quite a few different products with this, you know, we had one product that was starting to get traction and we we're like, well, we just, we have to start selling this thing. So mm-hmm. we just, we leaned deep into it. We read every sales book we could. We talked to as many salespeople as we could to learn. We picked up the phone and did, we cold called, we, we prospected. I mean, we just did the job and, and really took ownership of it. And it was through that experience that we built a lot of empathy for salespeople, for the job to be done, for the entire ecosystem, and just appreciated how hard it is. But also, like you're saying now, and this was what, 2014, 15, when we started Persist IQ, even then there were so many different tools to use. Mm-hmm. And it's only, I mean, it's blown out of proportion since uh, since then. But we solved, we set out to solve a problem that we faced, which was how do you start a conversation with somebody that you don't know? Like back then you had Salesforce, you had Marketo, but there was really nothing that existed for the sales to be able to do that. And it was funny because most investors just wrote it off and said, you know, there's, this isn't going to be a space. It's, it seems so, so narrow. And you fast forward five, six years, you have several multi-billion dollar companies built around this whole new category (laughs) called sales engagement. Right. Um, So I think, and we could do a whole separate session on, on, on the learnings there. But I share that story simply to say, you know, we were in it. We were in the sales tech space. We were talking, to, we'd you know, probably talked to thousands, if not tens of thousands of salespeople and worked with 
thousands of sales organizations. And even then, the problem that we're solving with Scratchpad wasn't immediately obvious to us. It took just, I, it, it was just really hardcore customer development, talking to users or talking to account executives, understanding how they work. And it was only through that experience. We built a different product that leaders loved, but <laughs> they, they just wasn't getting adoption. And so we asked a couple of the customers and said, hey, can we, do you mind if we just come in and watch your team, like watch some of your AEs work and, and see why this, this other product that we had built may not be getting adoption. <laughs> and it was through that experience that we actually learned so much just sitting behind an AE watching them work for us. <laughs> I remember they turned around and be like, is this interesting to you? <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, just keep going. And what happened was there was, you know, if you take each of those as like one dot, as an observation, what happened is there was all these dots that we just started to place and started connecting little bits and pieces of them. And slowly this picture started to emerge. And, you know, everyone has known that like Salesforce is this great CRM, but it's somewhat difficult to use. So you have all these other tools and a lot of folks are trying to solve quote unquote, the Salesforce, you know, usability problem. Right. Many products that existed like that before or just helping salespeople take notes or all of these pieces. And so, we knew that had existed and we weren't trying to do that again, right? Because none of those had really taken off. And what we observed was even with all of these tools, you have Salesforce, you have email tools and call tools and note-taking tools and tools, tools, tools. Mm -hmm. Salespeople were still working out of general purpose spreadsheets or note applications or their own task managers. And it was through just watching this and seeing this pattern over and over again that we connected the dots and said, gosh, what they're doing is they're digitally duct taping their own individual workspace together. A system that helps them as a salesperson be able to do their job, manage their pipeline, talk to customers, stay organized, do their follow-ups. But then there's this whole other overhead piece that exists and how do they update the CRM, which is also important, right? As mm -hmm. I'm sure you know, as a RevOps leader, having structure, having systems, having process is really important for consistency and for scaling. Mm -hmm. But all that would do is add drag to them because then they would have to block four hours off each week, go and update, the bare minimum gets into it. And it was through those observations that we just simply asked the question, why? Why does this, why does the world operate in this way for them? You know, and if you look at other, other spaces, if you will, even outside of tech, You'll see that, you know, if you're a chef, you have a kitchen that's optimized for you and mm -hmm. how you work. If you're an artist, you'll have a studio. If, if you're an athlete, you'll have a gym that's designed for how you do your work. And we actually looked at it through that lens and said, gosh, if sales is a craft, why doesn't something exist for the salesperson mm -hmm. on the front line to help them be their best? And that was, that was the inspiration for starting Scratchpad. Mm -hmm. So it was really around the salesperson trying to help them be their best, much more so than it was, how do we make it easier to use, you know, any CRM system? Got it. Got it. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think it's great to understand sort of the journey, kind of the way of thinking and how the product and really the business has been built around helping the sales rep. Yeah. It's, you know, we talked in, and in that journey, uh, we wanted to make sure that, 
this actually mattered because, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, there's so many, as you know, there's so many sales tools out there and everyone claims to, you know, 10x productivity and 10x mm-hmm. revenue and ROI <laughs> and everything seems to be a 10x. Yeah. And we, we really unpacked why had no one else done this and why had none of the other products that claim to make working with Salesforce or updating pipeline or take notes um, actually stick or, or take off with folks. Because a lot of them seem to have the functionality. And the other key insight that we had was it's all about adoption. Mm-hmm. And it's about how do you make it so simple, so intuitive, so fast that any AE can just pick it up and within 30 seconds to a minute, start seeing some value out of it. And, and that's a really hard thing to do because, as I'm sure you know, most AEs work in very different ways. Right. Some are very detailed note takers. Some just take, you know, like bullet points. Some are very meticulous about pipeline. Others are a little bit more loose. They're all, they're, they're all effective. And these could all be high performers, but they just work in different ways. So designing a product or a system that had the flexibility to adapt to how individuals worked was and continues to be a really big challenge, but it's one that, that my co-founder and I love. Like those, those are the types of problems we love solving. I love that. So you probably spend a lot of time. Do you still spend a lot of time then with your customers? I'm assuming you're, are you still sitting behind an AE learning about how they're yeah. working? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And what's been exciting is actually the, the work we do now has evolved <laughs> to much more than just the AE. And I guess this comes back to another learning we had or just in the entrepreneurial journey in, in sharing that, but it's not being afraid to go too narrow or be too specific. And so when we first started, we said, you know, we are, we are, we are solving for the account executive. That's Mm -hmm. a very clear persona. We know the job to be done and we just want to make them as happy and successful as we possibly can. And by doing that, we had to say no to a lot of things that at first felt a little scary because we wondered, are we going too narrow? Right. Is this going to be too specific? But what it did is create the space for us to solve the problem really well for AEs, which once they started adopting it and started loving it, it naturally started to spread to other parts of the revenue team. Mm-hmm. And, and so now, you know, we're talking to customer success folks and account managers and sales engineers, SDRs, sales managers are, are adopting the product. A lot of RevOps teams Mm-hmm. Uh, are now seeing it as a secret weapon to getting adoption <laughs> and driving consistency. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing customer development calls with all sorts of personas now, not just the AEs, but even, mm-hmm. even for account executives, we're constantly learning about new workflows and new challenges and, and bringing that into our design system and seeing how, how we might help them. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love the fact that you're, you know, when you mentioned the RevOps piece, you know, for me, you know, as we were talking about actually before we recorded, I mean, I look at this as kind of a, you know, special treat to kind of give our give mm-hmm. our team, right? Because I, you know, as a RevOps leader, you know, I'm always thinking about, you know, when I think about the sales reps, you know, I'm trying to obviously improve sales efficiency, right? Productivity, as you said, you know, 10x and more, but then, and then driving adoption, right? Because the key is adoption because you can buy as much as you want. You can implement as much as you want, but if there's no adoption, then it's a big, you know, it's a big failure. So really driving yeah. that adoption. And then of course, data, right? Data is huge for everybody right now. And you touched on this a little bit, but, you know, having that right data, 
you know, that we're gaining from the sales reps, but obviously for the sales reps, right? And making sure that everybody on the revenue team has that view of the data at the right time. So I want to talk about kind of those, those couple of things are really obviously important for me. It's top of mind mm-hmm. for probably everyone in revenue, right? So productivity, efficiency, adoption, and data, right? Yeah. So if I think about if we think about sales efficiency and productivity first, you know, with everybody, you know, two years ago, shifting to this remote workplace, you know, are there, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen teams do maybe to improve sales efficiency and what advice, I guess, do you think like leaders should really be focused on? Oh gosh, so much to unpack there. Um, <laughs> We're going to have to know, do a uh, series of conversations. Yeah, I know we, we really, we really can. You know, I, I actually think, RevOps has a really, a really tough job because you have to think about all of the things that you just mentioned and think about how do you design and build a system around it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, get adoption from your end, your end users, right? As a, as a RevOps team, which are, which are the front, the folks on the front line and the sales team. And that's a really hard thing to do because really what, what you're being asked to be there is a product designer. Mm-hmm. and a UX designer. And one observation I've had is a lot of RevOps folks that are thinking about scalability and thinking about systems and process and data and putting, I guess, putting uh, things in place, like implementing from you know everything from required fields to page layouts to validation rules or workflows into Slack. And on paper, it might seem like it's a good idea, like it works, you know, before you before you can move a deal to the next stage, you have to fill out these, you know, these certain fields and it has to go in this flow. But I haven't seen many RevOps folks, actually, I, I haven't seen any that go and do what we did, which is sit behind their AEs and watch how they work mm-hmm. and try to understand the implication of the changes that they're making or or what they're implementing, because that's fundamentally what impacts adoption. Mm-hmm. And the net, the, the effect of that has been not only are there more tools in this in in the whole tech stack, but there's so much more drag that's actually been put on the sales reps themselves because of this desire to be more process driven and to have more data in the system for right reason, right? Like I understand why you'd want that because you want to make better business decisions. And I think that's that's a really important thing to be able to do. But this concept of drag is one that we just keep hearing over and over again from the sales reps. Mm-hmm. We're saying, you know, I just don't have, like, I have all of this overhead work that I need to do and it just sucks. And then from the RevOps side, you hear, gosh, we're not getting adoption of the MedPick, you know, process we put into place. The data is not there. Reps are complaining. But I think that that is an observation that, that we've had across every org. And one of the biggest ways to increase productivity and efficiency is identifying ways. Well, one, first identifying that drag and, in, and then just chipping away at it and saying, mm-hmm. all right, what can we do? to remove as much of this drag as possible. Yep. Yep. Definitely. And I think with the technology available, you know, some of that automation, right. Where I'm always looking for places to automate because Mm -hmm. it not only means less clicks and less, but also less error, right. Less human potential for error when you're manually inputting Mm -hmm. things into multiple systems, because you want everything to be integrated. And as you said, make it as easy as possible. I do think, you know, you brought up a good point also about adoption is that I think whenever we're rolling out something new, one of the things that I make up to do is have users test, right? Have the users come in and see what that experience looks like. That's Um, so awesome. You do that. There there aren't many folks that do, right. To just to 
close the loop and say, hey, we made this change or we implemented this process. What happened? Yeah. Actually, even before you implement the process, right? You We've kind of designed yeah. what we think needs to work in the technology and then have a couple of your early adopter type of reps. And maybe, you know, I'd like to actually pick a couple early adopters and a couple of folks who aren't that great mm-hmm. at technology or are more resistant and have them sit down and walk through it and see, hey, what's that experience like and and get and get that feedback, right? And put that back into your process because, you know, to your point, we're not the ones doing that job. So we yeah. don't really know. So we need that perspective from the sales rep. And then on top of that, hey, guess what? Now you've got some champions on your side too, <laughs> because now well, they've, you, they've you just part increased of it. Your fan, exactly. You just increased your fan base from any AE that's listening because... <laughs> I think that's more the minority. I, I was on a call with, with an AE the other day who said, you know, our, our RevOps team just does what they want. Ugh. They don't even talk to us. Oh, no. Like all of a sudden, we have this big <laughs> process, and then there's this other tool that we have to use. And um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's really, yeah, because how do you know that it's going to work, right, for the team if you don't have the actual users in there trying it out? And they try mm-hmm. it out, and they usually provide really good feedback for things, maybe even simple things like even if, you know, a button doesn't belong there, you know, better yeah. places there or better on this page. But just that type of feedback and getting that into the process, and then and then you build those champions. So then when you're rolling it out, you know, your high performers, your champions are, are following that process and, you know, who, you know, what, who better to promote that process yeah. than their peers. So yeah, definitely. No, I think, then, I think that's, that's spot on. That's spot on. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. And then, so we talked about tech, we talked about systems mm-hmm. and processes, you know, and we talked about integration because definitely having, you know, the tech being used, being adopted and integrated and automated as much as possible is going to help, you know, not only drive efficiencies and productivity, but also better data quality. You know, if I think about, you know, technology, and I think you touched on some of this already, but are there other things that, you know, you've worked with lots of sales teams, you've worked obviously in the the tech space for so long, like, are there some things that you think are like, hey, these are the big kind of no-nos or mistakes that you see companies make when they're trying to leverage technology, right, to really help the sales team? And again, I think you touched on some of these things already, but is there anything Mm -hmm. else that you would add or anything you want to dive deeper into? Yeah, I'll say, you know, you talked about automation. Mm-hmm. And I think we can dive into that a little bit. So I think automation can help quite a bit, but it can backfire a lot as well. And a pattern I've seen is every you know a lot of folks just thinking about how do I automate? How do I automate? How do I automate? How do we add more automation? And we took the contrarian view with Scratchpad. There is no automation in Scratchpad. There is no AI in Scratchpad. There is no ML in Scratchpad. There's no really any buzzword that you can throw around <laughs> and connect to Scratchpad. Simply because what we observed was this is not this is not a problem that automation can solve. Mm-hmm. This is a problem around simplicity and speed. And so we actually looked at this as more of like what you would with a consumer app and saying, how can we remove as many clicks as possible? And how can we make it as fast as possible? And there's this concept that I've heard folks say, oh, well, like sales account executives or salespeople are lazy. They never update anything. And I'm like, that's, that's so far from the truth because they actually are. It's just not in Salesforce, mm-hmm. right? They have even the top performers that have very low quote unquote Salesforce hygiene have probably some of the best data 
but it's in their own notebooks. It's in their own spreadsheets yeah. or it's just, it's, it's just in their head, but the data is there. So the question is, how do you take that? How do you get that data into a system that is then usable by that organization that follows a certain process? And in our years, you know, my, my co-founder and I, in the years of being in the space, automation can serve, can solve specific problems that are well-defined and do those well that are repetitive, but it has a limit. And in the space of how people work, there are very few things that I've seen that automation can actually have a significant impact. It may have some convenience impacts on certain areas, but sales is a little bit, it's, it's just, there's too much complexity involved in it to automate all that much. Mm-hmm. So I would say actually try to go step back a little bit and not just look at automation. You know, how do I think about how I can automate things, but really step back and look at it through first principles and say, how can we, how can we solve this fundamental job to be done for folks? Mm, yeah, I like that. I like that. And I like the fact that there's kind of no buzzwords associated yeah. either. I mean, I trivialize what we do in that in that way, but I think it is that level of simplicity mm-hmm. matters so much, especially in sales, because you have so much going on and there's so many different tools to use. And, and actually, one of the ways we designed the product was to try to fit existing sales rep behavior versus trying to get sales reps to change their behaviors mm-hmm. to match what we wanted to be, exist in the product. Because changing those behaviors is one of the hardest things to do. And that's where simplicity really comes in. Yeah, I love that. If I think about, you know, you touched a little bit on data, right? And talked mm-hmm. about, you know, how obviously everybody's hungry for that data. And like you said, it could be in a sheet, it could be in a doc, it could be in somebody's head. And us trying to extract that information is always the challenge, right? And so when I think about, you know, a solution like Scratchpad, I think it just makes it incredibly simple, right? And easy mm-hmm. to gather that data, you know, as you touched on, you know, making sure that, you know, we, we meet the sales rep where they typically work, where they like to work, and just gather the information that we need. And then we can disseminate into, you know, or the CRM or wherever we need to get it. Yeah. So can you maybe talk a little bit about how, you know, Scratchpad really helps to make that process super easy, right? Because it's not just mm-hmm. for the salespeople, it's for the customer success. It's really for everybody yeah. that's involved in revenue that needs to have access to this information. So you just nailed it right there with what you, what you just said about access. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of folks are thinking about it from the, there's, there's two components. One is that how do I get data into the system, into the CRM? Mm-hmm. And that's where the biggest focus seems to be because with all of this tooling, I would bet most folks in RevOps or most sales leaders are looking at their CRM and saying, we don't have great data quality here, mm-hmm. <laughs> both in terms of coverage and in terms of freshness, like how fresh is this data? And so a, a, a big focus has been put on how do we get more data in? But there's another really important part to this is how do I use the data that's in there? That's right. And that's that's something that's actually surprised us quite a bit in how teams are using this concept of a workspace that we're building at Scratchpad, which is it's all again, again it's all done through simplicity and speed, and it's all and and make and meeting folks where they are and where they work. So we have this, I have this concept I like to use called product ego. We try to have very little of that to say you know you have to come to this application called Scratchpad to then use it and access, you know, update Salesforce or get the information you need from it. One thing we observed is salespeople are working across a variety of tools. You know, you're on you're in email and calendar and LinkedIn, and you may actually be even be in Salesforce. You may be in a company dashboard, and so we designed the product such that you can access it from anywhere through just a a quick keyboard shortcut, Command J. If you're on a Mac, I could just hit keyboard shortcut. I could type in 
the name of anything, an opportunity, contact, a custom object, like a, a contractor might be wor working, and it pops right up. And I can interact with it right there. And this is this comes back to that concept that I was talking about, which is removing clicks mm -hmm. and making it fast. So that part of it not only makes it easy to enter information, right? So maybe I'm looking at my calendar and I realized, oh, shoot, I forgot to you know, log notes or update certain things for a meeting I had this morning. I don't have to switch context. I can stay within the context that I'm in, which is my calendar. And right from there, update the information that I need. But from a consumption standpoint, I could be, and we you know we're, we're starting to see people in finance, in product, in marketing, leveraging Scratchpad as well as leaders. They're not updating opportunities, mm -hmm. but they're relying on that data. And what they're saying and what they're seeing is this concept of this workspace makes it easier for them to interact with the data that exists in the CRM. And, and that's been a really interesting, really interesting learning for us. And so you know, back to what, what, I, what we talked about at the, at the very beginning, which is how we came across the observation in building Scratchpad in the first place, right? Watching how AEs work. This is how we're now learning how to do it for the entire revenue team. By, by understanding how does a revenue team that works incredibly well together need to operate? And how might we be able to serve that? And the accessibility of the data is one of the key components because we're seeing it leads to much better collaboration. And, you know, a lot of times people think collaboration, let me just like leave some comments here and there and what have you. But sometimes it's it's actually in, in handoffs and in making sure that, you know, if if you're the AE that closed the deal and I'm the um, CSN taking over, that I can access the information that you put in there. And I don't have to do discovery with the customer again and create a really crappy experience for them. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I think and when you first start talking about the data, it's it's interesting because everyone's so concerned about getting all of this data into their system of record, but it's really it's not about getting the data, it's about it's about really like, what is the data telling you? Exactly. Right? And, and who needs to know what, at what time, right. And just making sure that you're getting the right information to the right people. And it's that accessibility mm -hmm. and visibility. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's so key. That's so key because it's, it's, I, I think it's more important to have data that you're actually using mm -hmm. and just having maybe less of that data than all the, all the data you could possibly record, but then nobody's actually using it to, to make decisions. Yep. Yep. 100%. Well, good. So, you know, as I think about, you know, I think about the revenue engine, you know, this podcast, I'm always hoping others will be able to, you know, really learn to how to accelerate revenue growth, right? Empower that revenue engine. So from your perspective, you know, what are some of the, maybe the top two or three things that you think, you know, all CEOs or revenue leaders should really be thinking about today to help mm -hmm. accelerate revenue growth? Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's so, so much there. Let me think of the, let me, I'm thinking of what is, what's not like the same old stuff that everyone says, because <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of good, good content and ideas out there. All right. Let me, let me share something I learned from one of our customers, a CRO that, that we have the, the fortune of working with. And she deployed Scratchpad across her team. And this one surprised me a little bit. Mm. Morale. Positive, like making making the sale the the salespeople on her team happy, and you know there's a lot of buzz and talk around our right, employee happiness and what have you, and I think that yeah that's important, but you rarely see folks connecting that to performance and revenue, mm -hmm. and in this case that happened, and there was such a clear connection between the the sales reps' morale and performance, 
And and this CRO valued that and also said, you know, I I care about my team. I I want them to be happy in their jobs because I also know that that's going to lead to better customer experiences. Mm-hmm. And in, and especially in SaaS, I think the customer experience is a way to differentiate. It's not just product features and benefits. And that's one that, you know, those are values that we certainly operate by here at Scratchpad, but it was surprising to see articulated so clearly by another sales leader that impacted revenue. Because I think in SaaS, it's not just about the deal that's done up front. It's also about um, retention and expansion. And so that customer experience, when you create a great, delightful experience up front, can pay um, for a very long time. And making sure that the folks on the front line that are interacting with those prospects and customers are actually happy. Mm-hmm. And I know it might sound a little bit cheesy, but it makes a big difference. And um, yeah, that, that's one that, that stood out to me. Yeah. I love that. I think that, you know, the morale, just having the team really motivated and also believing in the product, right? I think from, mm-hmm. for me, that's super important when I join an organization that I really believe in the product and understand the value and be excited about it. Right. And be part of that because that resonates with your customers. Yeah. What about, you know, from a CEO or founder perspective, and you probably have a long list of these things, but it, is there like one piece of advice that you would give to another CEO or founder? You know, is that that kind of one thing that makes all the difference? What would that be? Uh, gosh, yeah, such a great question. You know, I, I guess let me let me give advice for the stage that we're at, mm-hmm. which is of a company that's relatively young that is figuring out growth and and go to market motions. And I think early on it's it's being as flexible as you can. Mm-hmm. And that the, what I mean by that is with the revenue team recognizing that when you're hiring your first I don't know 5 10 salespeople that you probably don't have everything figured out and while there's all this content out there on exactly you know what typical SaaS quotas need to be and quota attainment and and all that stuff creating the space for experimentation and saying, okay, this, we don't quite fully know how this is all going to play out, but we'll figure it out together. And that means having your expectations as a CEO in the right place where, yeah, maybe, maybe everyone misses quota for a couple quarters because you just don't have the process figured out or everyone absolutely dominates it. And, you know, you're paying out crazy accelerators and that's okay. You should be excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that level of flexibility is really important and, and it takes hiring the right folks that align with that and, and are willing to operate in that space. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, and by the way, just so you know, side note, I've had a number of folks ask me if you're hiring. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think a lot of AEs want to come work for you. So as you grow, I'm sure you have a huge pipeline of candidates who would love to be part of your team. We are. Yeah. yeah. That we're spending a lot of time on as well. So yes, uh. we're, we're looking to grow pretty, <laughs> it's actually pr- funny pretty aggressively this year. I literally got uh, like two messages, I think today and yesterday around, Hey, do you know, are, are they hiring a so, separate conversation, but we could take that one offline. Yeah. Uh, feel free to send anyone over. Happy to chat with them. Perfect. So as we wrap up, I, you know, I would love to really know two things. I always ask all the guests Mm -hmm. these two things, and hopefully you've had a chance to look at this before. I always try to give a little bit of headway, but I think, you know, one, what is the one thing about you that, you know, others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you absolutely want everyone to know about you? 
And it could be the same thing. I've had a couple guests that it's the same thing. So one thing that would people would be surprised to know or to learn mm-hmm. and one thing that you really want everyone to know about you. Let me answer this, the last one first. Okay. Or the second one. What's something <laughs> I want everyone to know about me? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I think that would be the surprise one. I don't think anyone would Yeah, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll answer both of them together. Um, yeah, I'll say that. But I, and, and I say that in a way that it's that I embraces that because this is something I tell my team a lot as well. And, and, the, and the folks that I think are, you know, really aligned with how we operate here at Scratchpad is, is being, being comfortable with saying that mm-hmm. and embracing it and saying that it's not a bad thing. You're just acknowledging it and then saying, okay, well, I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we, we know we don't know. And so we're going to do everything that we can to get curious and to find the answer and I think there's just some, there's just a level, there's this flexibility that comes with it. And it's just that you feel a little, a lot lighter by being able to say that and approaching something like, I have no idea how to do this, but that's the fun part. Like I'm attracted to that and saying, okay, well, I'm going to figure it out. Um, so I guess maybe my answer is the same for both of them. <laughs> yeah. That would be surprised to learn is that actually, uh, I, I say that quite a bit. Yeah, I love that. I do, I love that. I do think it it gives a completely different um, you know, perspective and different feel towards approaching mm-hmm. and solving difficult problems, right? So, solving customer challenges and solving different difficult problems. Nobody has the answers to everything, but we can all work together to figure them out. Yeah, and it and it avoids you from feeling like you have to make assumptions or that you always have to have the answers to things. I mean, listen, you eventually have to get to a place of <laughs> conviction where you make a decision to move forward. But I've learned that that helps actually like saying that and then approaching it with curiosity Mm -hmm. usually helps come to a better, uh, better place. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Puyan, for joining me. I'm super grateful to you for spending the time with me and just sharing your story and just so many incredible insights. And I'm really excited to see what's next for you and for Scratchpad. Thanks so much for having me. It was my pleasure. 